This Week at Church, Pastor Robin McKinley talks about Jesus saying, I am the vine. You can join us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for free coffee, free baked goods, a worship service, and a sermon to follow. The church is located by the Coventry Mall on Laurelwood Road. This morning we're going to talk about one that uh, is uh, one of my favorites. It's that much of my favorite. I wrote a book about it. Those of you who don't know about the book, it's a children's book. Um, Carrie illustrated it for me. You might recognize the guy on the front. Um, but uh, anyhow, we are doing the, uh, by, those of you watching by television, if you're interested in a book, you can contact the church and we can fix you up with one. Uh, anyhow, today we're going to talk about the vine. And I'm going to do a shortened message this morning because we are going to have the open house downstairs uh, in the new children's center. I, for one, am happy that we are finally getting it open and that everybody is going to be uh, have access to it, and then we don't have to keep it a secret anymore. And uh, we can use the room for whatever uh, we, we need to use the room for. Amen. But I'll tell you more about the open house later on. All right, so today, talking about the vine, if you want to turn in your Bible to John chapter 15, that's where we're going to be looking. We're going to be looking at different verses between 1 and 8. Now, Jesus is with his disciples at the time, and they're going to Gethsemane. And probably along the way, they see a vineyard. And Jesus used like to take opportunity of object lessons that he had seen as they were moving along in their different, uh, uh, ex, uh, when they're going different places. So he wants not only the disciples to know, but he wants us to, from generations to generations, to know exactly how to live an overflowing life, how to live a life prepared to be commissioned for his service. So Jesus wants his disciples to be fruitful followers in all aspects of life. So we're starting with your notes, if you're following along with your notes. The first thing that we're talking about are the participants. In John chapter 1, verse five, 15, verse 1, it says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus talking. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. And then if you take a look at verse 5, he says again, I am the vine, you are the branches. So what do we have here? We have the vine, which is Jesus. He says he is the source of life. He is the source of fruitfulness. You know, a branch can't exist. It can't bear fruit when it's apart from the vine. Now, I have a grapevine in my backyard, and I was going to cut off a piece and bring it, but for some reason, I don't know what's going on with the vine this year, but it seemed like half of each of the bunches had rotten grapes on them, and half of the other half were good grapes. I'm thinking, I don't want to bring a bunch of grapes in here that's half rotten. What would that say about uh, the way I do grapes? 
I could have said that here we have a grapevine that's half sun-raised raisins, and the other half is grapes, but I didn't bring it anyhow. All right. Now, Jesus goes on to say, you can't accomplish the will of God on your own. In fact, he's pretty strong about this. He says, without me, you can do nothing. He says, your life has divine purpose. But you will never know, you will never accomplish that purpose apart from Jesus. You see, you've got to be connected to the vine. The second part of this whole thing is the gardener. God, the Father, is the gardener. The gardener's task is to get the most out of the vine that he can get by doing the work that needs to be done on the vine. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then the third one is the branch. The branches are us people. The branch and not the root is the focus of the gardener because the branches are the things that produce the fruit. The gardener lovingly cultivates every branch so that it might produce fruit. So let's move on to point number two, the purpose. The purpose is to bear fruit. The, uh, verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I just wanted to make sure that that is 16 and not uh, 6. Okay, it is. So my father, he's saying, is glorified when you bear fruit. Not just any fruit, though. Much fruit is what he's saying. Particularly speaking, fruit can represent the good you do through thoughts, actions, attitudes, value, anything that glorifies God is good fruit. So there's two types of fruit here. Inner fruit. When you allow God to nurture you with Christ-like qualities, you've got this fruit that grows within you. And Paul tells us about that fruit. He says it's the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, and self-control. They're the things that grow within us. They're the things that help us to interact with people in a godly fashion. And then there's the outer fruit. You see, when you allow Christ to work through you with the inner fruit, it impacts what you do for the kingdom of God for others as you are interacting with them. So it occurs when you, this occurs when you impact, when your impact is done to glorify God in your very life. So point number three, the process. You know, that's, that's one of Cindy's big statements, and it's a true statement. Everything in Christianity is a process. It just doesn't happen. We would like it to just happen, wouldn't we? We would like to be changed from where we're at to where we'd like to be just like that. It's a process, and it's called nurturing. 
Verses 2 and 3 says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So here's what the scripture is saying. It's saying as a child of God, okay, Jesus said, you're already clean because I've cleansed you. That's already happened. If you've claimed the blood of Jesus on your life and you are asking Jesus to help direct you and, and, and you're obedient to the word, you are clean. It comes through the cleansing blood of Jesus. So he's saying, you're a child of God. So as a child of God, you're either going to produce good fruit or no fruit. One or the other. Good fruit or no fruit. And depending on your fruitfulness will determine how God will tend to your life. So first of all, it says that you have no fruit. So... The Greek word that's used there, and I'm not even going to try to say it, means to lift up. means to take up or lift up, not cut off. It means to lift up. New branches have this tendency to trail down to the ground and grow along the ground. And because they do that, they're unable to produce fruit because leaves get coated with dust and mud and mildew, and it just kind of stagnates on the branch, and it hinders that from producing any fruit. The branches become sick and useless. So the gardener needs to go through and goes through with water, kind of wipes them off, and then ties them to the trellis. So they will start growing on their own on the trellis. And when they do that, the the fruit has the opportunity to grow on the branches. So I have a question for you. What does God do with wayward, unfruited believers? Huh. Is that you? He takes whatever means necessary to cultivate them to fruitfulness. So the second thing is he reproves or he rebukes. A rebuke is a verbal warning that God will make. And we hear this. Sometimes we don't understand it being the word of God, his, his voice, but we hear this. I mean, it could be a prick of our conscience. It could be a timely word of encouragement from a person. It could be a verse of scripture that we just happen to read. It could be a word of truth from a sermon or a Bible study. It could be a word of conviction from the Holy Spirit. If we have open ears to hear God and open hearts to respond, then we will be turned back toward God. But if we don't, there's the next thing. It's he disciplines or he chastises. You know how mom and dad discipline us boys and girls? Yeah, when we're not doing things right. Well, a, chast a chastening is something you feel as an emotional anxiety. I know when my dad got the belt off, that gave me an emotional anxiety. Yeah, turn him in, child abuse. 
Oh, that was like 50 years ago, though. <laughs> There's a frustration, distress. I mean, your joy kind of just settles down and peace. Where's it at? Because God isn't going to give you a peace in the midst of disobedience. He's going to try to turn your life around so that you can say, wow, I don't know why I have peace now, but I have it. Uh, hey, that's why he ran Adam and Eve out of the garden. You think they had peace when they were running out of the garden? Adam looks at everything around him and says, wait a minute. The eats are in there. And God says, go, go ahead, try to get in there. I got two angels. <laughs> They're going to keep you from going in there. See, he punishes. This, this is rebellion that occurs, and God will bring a punishment to us with the greatest of love to return you to fruitfulness, to return you to a right relationship with him. God's actions are always intended to nudge us lovingly, persistently, and wisely toward the life and character that he desires in us. He desires us to be Christ-like. Here's what verse 8 says. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, the good fruit he prunes. Now, I don't know what the difference is between cutting it off and pruning, okay? Maybe it's where it is on the branch. But uh, he prunes fruit so that the branch can be, or branches, so they can be more productive. In fact, a grapevine, like a disciple, will never produce anywhere near its potential without being pruned. Where discipline is meant to lead us to repentance, pruning is intended to lead us to release ourselves to God, to release ourselves to his purpose. It's not about me. It's about him. And, and he is pruning me back. You know, when the Lord prunes us, we will never, ever be closer to him than at that time when he's pruning. Sometimes he cuts away dead wood. That might cause us trouble. But most often, he cuts anything off that keeps fruit from growing in our lives. And then there's the priority. He abides in us. Verses 5 and 6. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. So the word abide means to remain, to stay closely connected, to settle in for the long term. It is to make God the center of your universe in which your whole life orbits around his will. We must abide or remain in him. And then the next one is the promise, the blessing. 
Verse 7 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask anything you wish and it will be done for you. So he's saying, he will abide with you, making you faithful as you remain in him. He will bless you. By abiding, you and I stay connected to him, drawing spiritual strength, drawing spiritual nourishment from him, affording us his power to flow through us, causing us to be fruitful for his glory. So, we're going to close with this. How do I abide or remain in him? I must deepen the quality of my devoted time with God. Let me say that so the children can understand. Children, it means opening your Bible, reading your Bible. It means praying on a regular basis. It means living your life that's pleasing to God. And when your life is pleasing to God, your life will be pleasing to your parents. And that takes effort. That takes effort. I must broaden my devoted time from an appointment to a lifestyle. What's that mean? See, in the mornings, I have an appointed time that I do devotions. But my whole life is devoted to him. Sometimes people only have that appointment in the morning or in the evening, wherever it might be, and the rest of their life is devoted to themselves. We must have a life that is devoted to him. And that will create good things for ourselves. I must realize my devotion is based on the truth of his promises. You know what I love about some things that happen in Christianity? I facetiously say that because I don't love it. Is when people say, well, I'm living like this way, but God understands. No, he doesn't. He doesn't understand sin. And that's what people are doing. They are living a sinful whatever, and they're saying, God understands I have to do it this way. No. God says, here's what I understand. I understand I sent my son to the cross so he will die for your sin. Do you understand? You see, it's, our devotion has to be based on the truth of his promises, not based on the truth of the box we put God in. I must abide or I must remain by faith that leads me to obedience. Lord, I'm not sure I understand what your word is saying to me today, but through faith, I will be obedient to it. And finally, I must be in a continual state of decreasing in self to increasing in him. And that's hard to do because we are self-centered people. But it's, again, a conscious choice 
that we make. It's a process that develops in our lives as we move on. Let's bow our heads. You guys can come and play something. Let's bow our heads. Where are you in this whole process? Maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior. And if that's you, then he says he's going to cut you off. And you're as good as the pile that's going to be burned. But today you can accept Christ as your personal Savior and be grafted into the vine. Be grafted into his family. And the Father will prune and take care of you to help you become fruitful if you will allow him to. Or this morning maybe your devoted time is just an appointment or your devoted time is more self-centered than Christ-centered whatever it is today is the day to say Jesus I want to turn my life completely over to you I understand that without you I can do nothing without you I can't be a fruit-bearing Christian. So, as we're examining our hearts, then just take what's going on in your life to Him, right where you're at. Thank you, Lord. Lord, help us to abide in you. Help us, Lord, not to just meet with you at an appointed time but let our appointed time be all the time in our life help us lord to be more christ-centered than self-centered and lord that is work on our part but we're willing to move in that direction we're willing lord to change but we do need your help we need the gardener to prune us we need the gardener to pick us up out of the miry clay and to clean us off and to help fruit grow from our lives. We need you, Lord, because we know without abiding in you, we can do nothing. We know your word says that and we believe that, Lord. So help us today. Help us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
We all look for happiness in life. We try to do good works. We seek for pleasure. But no matter how hard we try, we still feel empty. God is the only one who can satisfy. God pours mercy upon us. He pours His grace upon us. He fills us with His Spirit. God lavishes us with blessing. He washes us. He saves us. He gives us a life overflowing with peace and joy to others. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior.